We go to work, and when we're off, we whine about our day. We sip our cares away, and you can do the same, cause you're in a safe place when you're whining with nurses. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Whining, whining with, with Nurses. nurses. <laughs> I was going to say Petite Syrah. Sorry. We oh, can do I that thought again maybe I didn't look at you on no, time. No, I, so. I just like Petite Syrah. <laughs> no, sorry. Wrong ep- show. We're here. Hi, everyone. Hi. I'm, I'm Kat. And I'm Sarah. <laughs> I know. Me. Me, me first. <laughs> I'm Sarah. And I'm- uh, we already heard. <laughs> quit being so greedy, Kat. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, welcome to our show. This is our podcast, uh, about nursing stuff and wine. And about people and bodies and conditions and questions and stories and laughing and sneezing and fun stuff. I thought you were going to just say about pee. About pee. And about pee. Mm-hmm. I don't think we actually talk much about pee, mm-hmm. except for the story. Was it on Petite Syrah or this uh, show? It talked about the pee coming out with the clumps and the yeah, that was on the regular episode last yeah, week. Yeah. And UTIs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Other than that. Oh. oh. Uh, so, how's your week been? What's new with you? It's been fine. I feel like I did something. Um, oh, yeah. I went to a one-year-old party. My friend Renee, her baby Alara turned one. And that oh. was really fun on Sunday. So, it was cute. And uh, I'm just waiting for her to finally post a picture of the outfit I got her. So, <laughs> <laughs> she also wanted to wear it herself. So, she put the little top, you know, like a one-year-old size top. really small. She just put it over one boob. She's like, I think it could fit me. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Yeah. Um, they make baby clothes so cute now. They're not all just frou-frou baby clothes. Yeah. They make little mini adult clothes. and I know. And they're really like now that it's October, there's some like really cute like onesies. Carter pulled one out and the, lift up the arms and it has like bat wings and it, it was really <laughs> adorable. <laughs> huh, that's awesome. <laughs> what about you? What'd you do? Uh, well, I wanted to give one update. I did sell that heat lamp. Oh, did you? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> so Carter had just asked me, do you want to keep that or do you want to buy it? <laughs> it's we gone. sold it. Thanks for advertising it for me last week. Um, <laughs> I hope someone's warm and cozy. Yep, I hope so. Uh, and then yesterday was Ryan and I's five-year anniversary of dating. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. That's a long time. That's like half... Of 10 years. I know. <laughs> I was thinking half a set, half a, what, are, what do you call 10 years? Half a decade. Yep. It's half a pretty a long time. And he still likes me, so that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'd say it's good. Yeah. Uh, so we went down to Tamales Bay and got some oysters. And then we were heading to um, this beach to go have a little picnic. And on the way, we passed this winery, which it's kind of, that's kind of a place that feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. So I was surprised mm. to see a winery. Mm. Um, and we just stopped in, and it's called Point Ray's is it Point Reyes or Point Reyes? Point, well, how do you say uh, it? Th- this area we live in, a lot of things. Like earlier today, you said Vacaville, and I laughed because we say Vacaville, but technically it was Spanish. So it would be Vacaville and it would be Reyes, Point Reyes. So, but what I do don't people know. here say? Point, point Reyes. Okay. So we went to Point Reyes Vineyards. <laughs> I'm like, I just want to blend in. Okay? You're Virginian, you can tell. <laughs> Which was the coolest um, little tasting room. It was just, it was small and it looked kind of rinky-dink at first. But um, then when he started looking around, they had all of this cool art mm-hmm. and they had all of this Grateful Dead paraphernalia stuff. They had wine bottles with Grateful Dead mm-hmm. logos and then um, a poster signed by all the band members of Grateful Dead, which I, I really like the Grateful Dead. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then they had this really old bar in there that was just had a cool story. It belonged to some hotel that had been abandoned for a long time and it had this old cash drawer. And um, I know, and the ladies in there were super nice. One of them was a former nurse and now she's, Pouring, which is awesome. How cool. What a great retirement Well, job. we've talked about that a lot. Like if we were doing something else, it'd yeah. be fun to like pour wine and yeah, just drink talk wine. about how much you like wine. Yeah. <laughs> Share wine with other people. Um, and then the other lady was having a cardiac, she's having a cardiac procedure this week. Mm. So we got to talk about that and, and that was pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. and they had this delicious blue cheese. Ooh. 
Okay, so I had a good time there. Yeah, that sounds um, good. <laughs> and we tasted lots of yummy wines, but there was one that I liked in particular, and it was the Syrah, and it's from 2009, which you don't often get to taste older uh, vintages at, at a lot of wine rooms. 2009, I feel like, is kind of right. old. Yeah. It's nine years old. Yeah, that is pretty. Was it expensive bottle? It wasn't too bad and it was um, on special this week. So I think we ended up paying, it was like $24. Oh, okay. Um, That's pretty good. 2009. I'm excited to try this. I know. It's pretty smooth. Well, I'll let you taste it. I don't want to describe it before we get there. So also, because it's kind of perfect because last week we had a Petite Syrah and then this week we get two, so it's a neat comparison, kind of back to back. It's Syrah, a Petite Syrah's big brother. But there we go. No. It's, we're warming. <laughs> no. Like, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, that could be another career opportunity for us. I'm just saying, like, um, nurses pouring wine. You know what we need? More jobs. <laughs> I know. <laughs> In all of our spare time. Um but wouldn't that be fun? I don't know what the nursing part would be like, but we'll just give you terrible nursing advice as yeah. we pour wine for you. <laughs> like, we'll just talk about the health benefits of the wine. <laughs> there you go. I don't know. I mean, it could be like, I'm sure you could figure something out that would be like legal and fun. And like <laughs> people could, you know, get your blood pressure and have a glass of wine. Like <laughs> that's true. Health screenings. We could do that. Yeah. You could, and then what if it's high? We'll be like, I well, know. Have a glass of wine. Now go check at your doctor's office because you ha- you can't like... So here's the thing for the public to know. Uh, if you're doing health screenings for anything like vision, hearing, blood pressure, blood sugar, you if it's there's ever an abnormal, you have to have somewhere to refer the person. You can't just be like, oh, your blood sugar is high. Good luck with that. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Good luck. <laughs> so um, bye. But we could, you know, partner. I'm sure a doctor or nurse or a nurse practitioner, somebody probably, I don't know, would like love to partner with us and be like, yeah, I'll take the referral and then we could get business for our clinic. And like, mm-hmm. you know, as long as there's no alcoholics, then we might be contributing to like <laughs> hey, cirrhosis. But they're going to go don't wine have diabetes, <laughs> but you do have another problem. <laughs> This is the fifth glass you've returned for, sir. Yeah. <laughs> we could cut them off like a, you know, one tasting limit. And oh, then we can do fun. a referral. Well, you know, but to be healthy, you know, and then we give them some carrots and feel like we- <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Anyone want to bake it on this business? Uh, give us a call or email us. Or give us some carrots. There you go. All right. I'm going to open this. Yay. Woohoo. Yay. That's much better than Ooh, look at that cork. No, oh, it's very dark. That is concentrated. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? Do we look at corks? I guess so. I Pe- do. People look at corks. I mean, I don't you think it means that much, but yeah, I do. Yeah. I do lots of arts and crafts with corks because um, I have so many. Why? I don't know. What else do you do with them? Um, I made those. The what do you call the oh pot, coasters? The, not coasters, but when you have a, like a hot pot. Yeah, hot pot. Co- uh, oh, sorry, not a coaster. Yeah, a. You know, when you take a hot pot or off the stove or something out of the oven and you sit it on something so it doesn't burn your counter. I have a coaster stuck in my head so I can't think of a hot plate. Uh, No, that, no. No, Takeshi, nothing? What's it called? (laughs) We don't know. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Everybody knows what I'm describing. So those, I usually make Christmas crafts and send them home to people on the holidays. And I know someone who, uh, it's really neat in their backyard. They took um, uh it's Renee again, her family. They're really creative and artsy. So, um, but in the backyard, they had this like empty panel stuck to the back of their house. So they took tops of beer bottle caps and they made a whole picture of a big beer glass and a beer bottle. And then the all out of bottle caps and then pouring into the glass. And then they had wine uh, stoppers, corks, wine corks. Sorry, my brain today. Uh, wine corks on the other side, and the, and kind of the same thing with like a wine bottle. It was really creative. Maybe think cool. of it, like, yeah, and cool. a good way to reuse something that's pretty much useless. Yeah, and and people use all the time. So we would donate anytime you drink, you know. So we barely ever donated because we don't drink much. But ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? I think it smells a little bit like um, maybe a little bit like tobacco. Um, yeah, like a mm. cigar. Mm. I, I smell something very strong. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I should. It should sit for a minute and like open. 
probably. Open yourself so I can drink you. Okay, maybe I'll taste it now and see how it compares to, um, what's it called? Once it's breathed? Oh, what, you know? when it's decanted or aerated or... Right, mm-hmm. aerated, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love decanters. I think they're so pretty. I know, we never use ours for the show and we have... We, we have should. One. Well, it's because we're oftentimes talking about the, the bottle and did you talk about the year of the oh, wine yeah. or anything? Oh, I did say it's 2009. Um Flecini Vineyards, that's on the Sonoma Coast. I probably did not say that word correctly. Um, so, yeah. They're saying mm. it's family owned and operated on Highway 1, overlooking the beautiful Point Reyes National mm. Seashore, 40 miles north of San Francisco. For three generations, our families proudly farmed the rich, fertile lands of Marin County. And then there's a lot of other story. I'm not going to read it all. Yeah. Uh, but the tasting room's super cool. So if you're ever in yeah. Tomales Bay, that's a really cool place to stop in. Um, even just the grounds, getting there, they have all this old farm equipment. Mm. The guy just likes to collect old stuff, I think. Yeah, that's fun. Sounds mm. like my dad. Pretty much collects. We have like 80 toasters if anyone ever needs toaster. <laughs> <laughs> what is it with men collecting just old things? I don't it's, know. Elmer does the same thing, my yeah. stepdad. It's like a huge antique like <clears throat> collector. But then, you know, when they eventually will die, then the kids inherit it. And unlike you who has like 80,000 siblings, I got one. Well, three. And uh, I have two half brothers. That's why I said that. They're just like quite a bit older than I am. So they probably don't need a toaster. Uh, but I don't know. None of us really need 80 toasters either. So we'll just sell them all. Unless you're making, you got a toast factory. <laughs> that's all. It's a restaurant we uh, open. That's all we serve. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. It's, it's, it's not vinegary, but it's kind of like... Um, it needs to you know open what I up mean? a little bit. Yeah, like when I drink it, I can feel like this like ting in my nose. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, the air goes up through your nose to breathe out when you swallow, you know, so it kind of, it's like a strong. That is the root. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> or but anatomy, it's it, all connected. I think it smells awesome. It smells, like I said, I'm getting a little bit of tobacco, mm-hmm. vanilla, and then there's um, a prune or something, you know. Yeah, you can definitely. Sp- Smell a dried, concentrated fruit. Yeah. Kind of sweet, tangy, strong, pungent. Is pungent always it bad or just strong? It stings the nostrils. It stings the nostrils. Actually, it does sting the nostrils, at least when I drink it. Not when I smell it. It has like a lot of different undertones when you smell it. Mm-hmm. This is a complex wine, I guess we would say. hmm Yeah. Yeah, so. but it doesn't like linger. It's not like this smooth, buttery. It's really different. So what's the opposite of not smooth and buttery for wine? Tannic. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tannic. I don't even say it's too tannic. I think it's maybe a little bit, but. I don't think, I think tannic is what I'm looking for. I think it's not kind of, smooth um, and buttery. It's just kind of like it's there and then it's kind of gone when you're. Like you're saying it doesn't linger and stick around right, after I, you I swallow. Right, I guess so. The only thing that sticks around for me is like, like a dried uh, cherry flavor kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it lingers a little bit, but not too much yet. Anyway. Well, anyway, yeah, (laughs) not about the wine. So I'm going to talk about when your immune system is suppressed. And what that means is you have a ton, people have a ton of different types of white blood cells. Uh, All of those blood cells help fight infection. So when we have bacteria or viruses or cuts, uh, those little white blood cells, and there's all sorts of different types, um, go to fight against it. So they're like the army of our body. And- uh, I salute you. Y'alls. And is it the most common, Sarah, or just the strongest or something, the neutrophils? Um, I don't, I don't know. know. Sorry, I just, I, <laughs> like I didn't that. find that out. But but anyway, something we look at when someone's immune system is suppressed, um, which can happen if you're uh, have chemo or on chemotherapy for cancer, we suppress your immune system because your own immune system is kind of going out of control, which is what cancer and tumors are. Um, your cells are multiplying very quickly. So we suppress all of the cells in your body, including your immune system, so that they stop growing out of control. Um, and hopefully we can kind of kill what's going on. And then when you're done with the treatment, uh, your, your you know, cells will kind of, I guess, reboot, right? Because we get new cells 
kind of continuously. But um, anyway, so the cells, uh, the white blood cells, the immune cells that I'm focusing on is the neutrophils. And um, when you have suppressed neutrophils, you know, either, like I said, from chemo or you have an autoimmune disease that can cause you to have low white blood cells, then that's a problem because you can't fight infection. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can get easily very, very sick from a common cold or a little bacteria that was on the surface of something that might not be a big deal to someone who has a normal functioning immune system. Um, but if you have a suppressed immune system, again, like if you're on chemotherapy, especially, it's we're suppressing it on purpose, um, then you can get really, really sick uh, or die from just something really, really common that everyone else would fight off. So, um, hold on, with the chemotherapy, it's not. Are we always suppressing the immune system on purpose? Like I think with leukemia, we are because that's mm-hmm. like a or yeah, leukemia and lymphomas. That's a d- blood cancer. Those uh-huh. are blood cancers. But let's say you just have a tumor, like a pancreatic tumor or something. You're not trying to suppress the immune system. You're trying to kill the tumor, and then you kill the um, you you know kill blo- healthy cells or normal cells mm-hmm. as a you know side effect. Right. It's this. Yeah. Sorry. So it's we're not trying to kill your healthy cells, but that's what chemotherapy does. Yeah. It's just nature is to kill all cells, and that's including good and bad. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, chemo is just a whole combination of different drugs and the goal is to kill any rapidly dividing cells. And that's what cancer is. Um, and that's why, uh, you know, chemotherapy works for treatment because it's killing cancer cells and cancer cells are rapidly dividing and growing Mm -hmm. and multiplying and, and faster than your healthy cells. So that's why it kind of works really well. Um, So uh, neutrophils, those really good immune cells, like I was saying, have a life cycle. They last about one to six days in our body. um, And they're especially sensitive to chemotherapy. Um, So, you know, if you're technically you have neutropenia, if you have a white blood cell count that's less than 500, Hmm. And that is when, or, or less than, so if you're less than 500, you have neutropenia mm-hmm. um, and then it can go down all the way down to a hundred and it's severe neutropenia. So you're really at risk for any type of infection. You have to be really isolated in a hospital um, and they're constantly drawing your blood counts to check your neutrophil um, count. Like a lot of cancer patients um, are in the hospital and, and they're measuring those counts and they won't release them until they're above a certain number because they're just too at risk kind of out in the world mm. exposed to all the germs. So they want to wait until you have like until some of your white blood cells have been restored so you have right. a chance to fight. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So if they stop giving you chemo, it might take your body a while to recover. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah. You can't make all those cells in a day, people. It's hard work. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can make some cells in a day. <laughs> And um, something can happen called neutropenic fever. So if your um, your cells, you know, your, your neutrophils are counts really low, then you can get um, neutropenic fever, which is a very serious condition. Um, it's technically defined as a fever with one reading of 101 or kind of a consistent over an hour or more of 100, 104, 100.4. Hmm. Um, and your blood cell, your absolute neutrophil count is less than 500. Um, the fever, because your blood cell, your immune system so um, suppressed, your fever can kill you. It's really high mortality rate. Uh, it's like 90% if you're not treated really quickly when they catch the fever with antibiotics. Hmm. Uh, if they do catch it or they suspect you're going you're gonna to have a really no, low neutrophil count, mm-hmm. Um, then they can, it's like, it drops down to like two to 21% of people that survive if they get neutropenic fever. Wait, two to 20% survive. Death rate. No, no, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm stupid. Yeah. Like 80 death rate. to 90 Yeah, that's 8%. what I meant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So two to 21% death rate. So if they in, uh, give you the antibiotics really quickly, mm-hmm. um, you survive. So it's, it's, that, I mean, that's pretty good survival so rate. As, as long you're as you're being, as long as it's caught early, then. You have a good chance. Right, right. Like a really good chance. Yes, a mm-hmm. very good chance. I mean, like 
2 to 21% is greatly reduced from 90% if you're yeah. not treated with antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, causes of like a low blood cell count would be autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis. You have oh, a really? suppressed immune system. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, if people that don't make very much bone marrow because in our bone marrow, all our, that's where all of our blood cells, a lot of our blood cells are made. Um, so people that have less production of bone marrow would be like people with alcoholism, anorexia, because you're malnourished. Oh, um, myelodysplasic syndrome, which I didn't actually look up what that is. But if you have that, you probably are making less bone marrow. <laughs> Let's see, myelo, that's like the, um, wait, is oh, it myelodysplastic myelo syndrome? Isn't myelin the stuff that covers your nerve cells? Yes. And then dysplastic, so you're not making it correctly. That sounds uh, like a good educated guess. Oh, but that doesn't, what does that I have to do with the immune we'll system? We'll come back to anyway, it. Anyway, we'll figure no, it out. No, it's not immune system. This is the category of underproduction of bone marrow. Oh, gotcha. So if you're malnourished, like alcoholism, anorexia, you have that syndrome, um, you kind of are recovering from varicella, chickenpox, um, rubella, influenza, hepatitis, HIV, um, and then also certain drugs can suppress your bone marrow production, um, like clonazepine. Mm. That's for psycho psychoactive drugs. Say it again. Clonopin Cl- or clozapine. 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 Oh, isn't that something they use in um, pregnancy? Clozapine. I thought that was something. Anyway, I don't know. I know I've heard that, but I don't think it's something commonly used, right? I, I haven't, I, it's not There's something so I've heard of. There's so many drugs that sound alike and it's really yeah. frustrating. That's why I said the wrong one. <laughs> yeah. Clozapine, uh, some zoles like for fighting fungal infections, um, antibiotics, Bactrim, really common antibiotic that can suppress your bone marrow. Huh. Um, Which is funny because it's like, it also can fight infection. I mean, right. that's what it does. Weird. Cephalosporins, NSAIDs. Mm-hmm. Ibuprofen, I mean, huh. that can suppress your bone marrow production. I didn't know that. And then chemo's on there. Yeah, so those are the kind of the drugs and all of this, again, is can reduce your neutrophils to fight infection so you could become suppressed. Um, yeah, I didn't know that either. It's uh, interesting. It's probably, do you think it's like if you're using it on a regular basis over a long term? Because- just because yeah, we don't oh want no. people to be worried about taking No, 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 for sure. I mean, all of this is an extreme case. So the things mm-hmm. we talk about on here usually aren't like your day-to-day stuff. It's when you're really sick or mm-hmm. there's something going on. These are the worst case scenarios. You know, most of the time people turn out fine. You're going to you be know? fine. You're going to be fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so just neutropenic femur can be really dangerous. Uh, you get a high- <laughs> Neutropenic femur. I said fever. I think you said femur. <laughs> but it's funny. It just made me think of a bone that's like, no, I don't have any neutrophils. I can't function. <laughs> um, so how we treat it is basically like doing a lot of blood work and making sure, checking your blood cell counts, um, uh, checking x-rays if you have infections. So if your immune system suppressed and you're like coughing a lot or wheezing, we're going to check and do an x-ray and make sure you don't have an infection in your lungs because your neutrophils are low. Mm-hmm. Or um, if you're having stomach pain, you know, check your, do a CT scan and check your abdomen, make sure there's not some infection going on there. Again, if your immune system is suppressed, any small little bacteria, even the ones that are living inside of our own body are now dangerous to us. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the outside ones, even the ones on the inside can cause a lot of problems. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, if you have a lot of people with immune, uh, so, sorry, um, suppressed immune systems can have like uh, sores on the inside of their mouths and your gut, uh, you can have like anal pain and you want to check and make sure you don't have any bleeding lesions. Why or, is that? Is it because they have an infection going on or like... It's called mucocystitis, mouth, abdominal, rectal pain or lesions. Like inflammation of... Well, if you think about it, those things are always exposed, mm-hmm. right? Um, we're putting stuff in our mouth or using our lips a lot. So there's a lot of bacteria and germs going in and out there. Also pooping or pooping out bacteria from our gut. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like the cleanest place. So You are. Mine's clean. <laughs> You just poop rainbows, <laughs> you know. So those are 
um, the entrances and exits of our body are really vulnerable to bacteria. Hmm. You know, um, Ryan's mom had to go through chemo a year or two ago and um, she got hospitalized with neutropenic fever. Mm. I remember I went and sat in the ER with her and she Mm -hmm. was on isolation. And so that, you know, just means nobody else can come in there. You have to wear a mask and gown so Mm -hmm. that you don't bring any of your germs and infect Right. The patient, so. And um, it's kind of the opposite of normally, like you think, oh, someone's sick, they have a fever, I can get it, I should stay away, but it's really someone who has a neutropenic fever, Fever. they got a fever because they have an infection because their immune system is so low, so we need to stay away to protect that person. Yeah, you're not going to get right? anything, you're the problem yeah. or the danger. And kind of the last note too, um, since they talked about chemo, there's another treatment for cancer um, that's, it. Um, sorry, what's it called? The bio, um, the um, biologics. Yeah, biological. Okay, thank you. So like <laughs> biological treatments that treat uh, cancer instead of suppressing your immune system, it's kind of um, enhancing your system or your immune system to fight the cancer. And hmm. sometimes just because we're enhancing all those cells, you can have symptoms. Flu-like symptoms is really common. Um, headache, nausea, uh, fever. Mm-hmm. And you just have to kind of watch out. Know that if you have a fever, it can be just a simple side effect of the immunological treatment itself. So watch out for other symptoms. Make sure you know when your fever started, how high it's going, um, so you're saying it might not be an infection because this is a different type right. of treatment. It's just a reaction to the... Exactly. It's a side effect of that type of treatment. Uh, but you still want to watch out for it. I mean, it's still important if you're fever, if you're on biological treatment and you're, you have a temperature of 100.4 and it's kind of staying there, um, you know, call your doctor, make sure you know, to rule out whether it's a simple, they can do again lab work to see if your blood cell counts are affected and Mm -hmm. there is an actual infection or it's just simply a side effect of your treatment, which is normal and expected, but you have to be aware, you know, Mm -hmm. know the difference, make sure you've talked to your doctor and have that conversation of things to look out for and pay attention to any other accompanying symptoms. Yeah, I can see how if you don't know that much about cancer treatment, which I don't, and you're getting a biologic therapy, which I'm like, I don't really know exactly what that is, and you get a fever, and you know this much about it, you right. know, like that if, oh, your immune system can be suppressed and you can get a neutropenic right. fever, I, yeah, I can see how it, I would freak out. Right. I'd be like, I need to get into the hospital right now. Yeah, and you think, oh my gosh, I'm not feeling well, the treatment, something's wrong, but it's really the treatment, the side effects of it, you're not, you're going to feel that way. Just pay attention, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the burning it's, means it's working. <laughs> uh, no, and don't listen to that. <laughs> Usually burning is not a good thing for anything unless it's in your nostril because your wine is very tannic. <laughs> oh yeah, let's go back. Oh, sorry, did you have more to say about no. But it's less tannic now. I really like it. I feel like um, a lot of Syrahs are really peppery and this one has such a mild pepper flavor, but it's there. So it's just, it's definitely a Syrah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more, um, it's smoother, I think. I really like it. I don't know. I think it's, yeah, I think it's good. I think I enjoy it now that it's kind of been sitting there for a while. Mm-hmm. It's less intense in my nose, which is enjoyable. Yeah. You know what? It hits you in the nostrils less hard. <laughs> it's just like tickling my nostril hairs instead of like, you know, punching them. And <laughs> good. Well, I looked up. Well, what is this though? What? What's all that oh, stuff? Oh, that's residue. So, um, yep. That's just little particles from <laughs> how the wine is made. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk, we'll re-explain about that or have a wine expert because I don't know why it's in there, but I think yeah. it means it's good. See, it's good that I don't know these things because then you can explain it. And maybe other people, because not every single person is a big wino. Takeshi is so mad at us right now. He's like, they don't know what the residue is. Yeah. Ever watching, is it ever judging. Is that what you're... Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay. It, yeah. It looks like little dark sugar particles and it's just a little sugar plum fairy. It's coating the inside of my glass. I feel warm and loved and happy right now. I don't feel like mine has as many as you. Oh, there we go. Just swirl it around a little okay. more. That's true. I wasn't doing the swirling as well. I'm not as like a whiny expert as you. <laughs> Whiny in a positive way. 
So we have, you know, on the note of immunosuppression, I wanted to talk about that a little bit too, because we have talked about infections last week. And I think we mentioned being immunosuppressed a couple of times, but we, yeah, never really went into depth about it. And I was starting to think about, well, I used to work in transplant and I know a good bit about that part of immunosuppression. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Because if you get an organ transplanted, you know, um, there's a risk for rejection. So anything that comes into your body, well, I shouldn't say anything because there are things that they can put in your body through surgery that your body doesn't really reject. Like Mm -hmm. if you get a knee replacement or, you know, but something a, like that. A knee replacement, like a, a metal knee replacement. Right. A, Your body doesn't look at that human and tissue. think, oh, that's some foreign thing. For some reason it doesn't. Right. Um, or like a pacemaker. Because there are no antibodies. That's why. Yeah. There's nothing biologic about a piece of metal, so your body just lets it be. Um, But if you get somebody else's organ implanted into you, that organ comes with its own history, its own antibodies. Um, And so part of receiving an organ transplant is immunosuppression. It's actually a really big part. And um, depending on the type of organ that you receive, that kind of dictates how much immunosuppression you're going to receive throughout your life, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. So like kidneys and livers, mm. you you know, you know have to have a lot of immunosuppression at first, but most people eventually it tapers off and you're just getting small to moderate amounts of immunosuppression because for some reason you're not as likely to reject those organs as huh. you are other organs like a lung or a heart. So lung is the most susceptible to rejection. So yeah. people who get a lung transplant have to have the most immunosuppression um, mm-hmm. because they're the highest risk for rejection. And also maybe because if you reject a lung, if your body rejects a lung, you, you die. die. Yeah. If yeah. you reject a kidney, you can go on dialysis. Right. If you reject a liver, there's a temporary thing. It's kind of like a liver dialysis you can mm-hmm. do. You can also, you know, kidney and liver transplants are more, um, there are more abundance of organs. Not that there's an abundance right. of organs, but you're more likely to get one yeah. of those than a heart or a lung. Like, Is it also, can you do like a, you can, because you can do a partial a uh, liver transplant, right? Because it regrows it or heals itself. I think itself. so, yeah. yeah. And so, you only need one kidney to, to survive. So of course those are more abundant. Yeah. I had no idea though that, that you needed less mm-hmm. immune suppression with those two organs. Yeah, it's really interesting. So the immune suppression, so basically immunosuppression and transplant is trying to keep your body from rejecting this organ. So from um, basically having an inflammatory response or treating it like it's an infection or an invader Mm -hmm. and attacking it and destroying it. Um, So there's initially when you first get a transplant, heavy doses of immunosuppression. They give you IV steroids and IV um, uh, biologic um, immunosuppressants, which those I'm not super familiar with. I just know the names of a couple of them, but I'm not really familiar with how they work. Um, and then there are some other types of immunosuppressants that I think are specifically for transplant, like um, tacrolimus or Prograf is the mm-hmm. other name. That's a really common one. Um, or cyclosporin. Um, the other name for that is Neural. Anyway, so you get a lot of those at first. And then as you get further away from transplant, they start to taper all of those medications off. Unless you have an acute episode of rejection. So you're always being monitored for organ rejection when you mm-hmm. have a transplant. So that means sometimes they have to do biopsies of the organ. Forever, um, for like the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And except if there's some circumstances where they stop. Like if you've made it to a certain age and you haven't had any episodes of rejection and they're like, you're really not that likely and we don't want to put you through this crap anymore. Let's Mm. just, you know. And so it's kind of like a calculated risk where you don't do these things so often. You know, you don't check them with invasive tests so often. Um, And like I said, with every organ, it's different. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, you get those heavy doses of immunosuppressants. Then you're always on a maintenance regimen. And then if you ever have an acute episode of rejection, then you get kind of another heavy dose of some, you know, whatever is the appropriate medication again for a certain amount of time, depending on how your body responds to it, if you're still rejecting the organ. So with all those immunosuppressions, um, suppressants, you're at increased risk for infections and um, including opportunistic infections. And those are infections that are caused by 
pathogens and a pathogen can be a bacteria, a virus, um, fungus, or a protozoa, which I had to look that up, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) protozoa is like malaria or trichomonas or giardia or something. And they're also the most pretty under the microscope. Are they? Yeah. I really liked looking at protozoa. I don't remember. They looked like little pieces of glass. Like that's just how I remember them. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. I love yeah. looking at stuff under the microscope and I don't remember that. But a, like protozoa are amoeba, amoeba, right? Like they're one, a single celled organism. I believe so. Well, I don't know. I believe so. That sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question though about the immune suppression. Uh-huh. Do they, do, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it depends, but like, so you say, you know, you're on a list waiting for an organ. You don't really know how long until you're going to get it. So when would, do they start to suppress your immune system beforehand During while surgery. you're waiting? Okay, so they mm-hmm. don't start like a month before because no. you don't know when you're going to get the organ ever. Right. So why suppress it? More yeah, than and you're not at risk for rejection until you get the organ. So they start yeah. doing the transplant. I just didn't know how quickly it worked, I guess. like. Mm-hmm. I think steroids work really quickly and they're kind of a really broad spectrum immunosuppressant. They suppress everything in your um, inflammatory system. Oh, you're getting lots of residue down there now. a ton of black stuff at the bottom. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of residue. Um, so they start giving it to you as you're receiving the organ. They give you IV immunosuppressants. So mm-hmm. those work really quickly. Yeah. Um, and then they start to taper those off. Um So, oh, so yeah, back to opportunistic infections. So those are infections that you normally wouldn't be susceptible to if you have an intact immune system. Like your normal immune system can just fight it off. We probably breathe in fungus and bacteria and viruses all the time. And it's no big deal because our immune system's healthy and it's like, get out of here. Um, (laughs) But if you don't have an immune system or if you have a really compromised one, then those things can just kind of take over and do whatever they're going to do. Um, so because of that, you, uh, transplant patients take all of these things to prevent infection. So lots of antibiotics, not because you have an active infection, just, Mm, um, prophylactically or preventatively. Yeah. So, um, actually Bactrim is one of the common ones. Um, people take that either depending on what kind of organ every day or five days a week or three Mm. days a week or once a week. It really just depends. Um, Sometimes antivirals, and particularly if you've had a viral infection before, um, antifungal medications like the Zoles you were talking about, yeah. fluconazole, myconazole, um, and uh, I think that's yeah, mainly what I wanted to say. I don't know huh. what you do to treat protozoa. Mm-mm. I don't know. It's been too long since I studied <laughs> that. I um, have to look into that, but yeah, I don't know what medications you would treat take to treat that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you take a bunch of those uh, medications to prevent infection. Um, uh, there's another interesting thing. If you have a, an organ transplant and you're on heavy immunosuppressants, you're actually more at risk for developing cancers, which I didn't know until I was working. Well, I didn't know any of this until I was working in transplant. That but, makes sense though, right? Because your immune system isn't keeping kind of other... Tr- so what our immune system normally does, right, is like if we see cells that are multiplying rapidly, it stops that. Mm-hmm. But if it gets too much, too out of control, and it can't handle it, um, then you have cancer. Yeah, so your immune system isn't there to mark those cells as like cells that should be destroyed. Or also, even if they get marked, you don't have enough white blood cells to go do the destroying. Um, so you're at risk for cancer, is for certain types of cancer and in particular skin cancer. So like Hmm. we tell people to wear lots of sunscreen, Mm -hmm. you know, full clothing, don't go out in the sun. You know, I don't know how many white men, this is, I've seen tons of white men with bald heads that get cancer on the top of their head um, after getting an organ transplant. And, you know, it's funny because you don't think of, you don't think it's that serious. It's like, oh yeah, this is a risk. But in transplant, Oh my gosh, it's so common. It's mm-hmm. like a serious risk. Um, That's so scary because you're already going through like, you know, organ failure and the whole transplant thing. And then on top of it, you get cancer or at risk mm-hmm. for, yeah. It's 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 really interesting because you trade one problem for another mm. set of problems. So yeah. like, yeah, your life is saved or prolonged or you have a better quality of life in some way because you don't have 
you don't have to go to dialysis three times a week, you know, because your kidneys are failing. You have a kidney that works, but, you know, the medications that you take to keep your new kidney from being rejected could right. also cause kidney failure. Yeah. That's, <laughs> and that's cancer. Just, so. It's crazy because our body is, it's amazing how we are, uh, the majority of humans are fine. You know, it's like that we go through this world without getting cancer. I mean, I know that there's a huge portion of people that have things you know, conditions and like me, type one diabetes, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of us, it's, a, it's crazy that, I mean, one tiny genetic mistake or anything when you're growing in the womb, you're, you That's have what a my problem. parents called me, one tiny genetic <laughs> mistake. Oh, no, they didn't. <laughs> no, Sarah. But, you know, isn't it, isn't it nuts? Like, mm-hmm. and then if, if one thing does go wrong, you're just wrong. You're predisposed to all this, a slew of other things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you have, a, a, um, like type, so type one, I'm at risk for any other autoimmune disease. Really? And there's specific ones like um, uh, celiac disease that I'm really high risk for, thyroid conditions, thyroid disease. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually didn't know celiac was an autoimmune. I thought that yeah. was like an, well, an allergy is an autoimmune thing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's huge. So you have to be tested yearly for like thyroid conditions and and um, your celiac, and you can. It's all these things that if you have one thing, it means your body is all is not your immune system's already kind of messed up, right? So mm-hmm. you're at risk for other conditions that are immune related. Yeah. You know, so people, if you don't have anything wrong. And I think that's hard to find, especially as you get older, things show up in the beginning. Our bodies are young and and happy and can function really well. And then things, whatever is going to show up eventually just kind of does and downhill from there. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of our patients say. We see old patients and I'm always like, yeah, but everyone tells me it's downhill. So what do I have to look forward to? And then they respond, oh no, honey, it's great. You know, there's so much wonderful about getting older in life. And it's really encouraging when I hear that because- you hear them complaining, but really there is another side to it. We're just hearing the, the nursing, negative things they need help with, but there really is so much, you know, you don't have to be, you know, like I've developed like this fear of aging, not like aging, like Sarah's aging. <laughs> <laughs> Five years older, but no, I mean, you know, like getting really old and mm-hmm. anyway. But it's nice to hear people say, no, there's so many wonderful things about it. And it's, it's, one, it's so good to look back on the things you've done in your life. And mm-hmm. so. And being wise and not giving a shit what other people think. There you oh, go. That's what I look forward to the most. Yeah. It gets a little easier every year. <laughs> yeah. Especially now we're on a podcast because, you know, we're so famous that like we have all this fan scrutiny and it's, it's <laughs> all crazy. Five of you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, mom. <laughs> Um, so yeah, other things that, um, people who get back to transplant, that people who have transplants, um, that we warn them about after you get a transplant and especially in the initial phase when you're being really heavily immunosuppressed, (laughs) there's a lot of things you shouldn't do, like eat at a buffet, or even if you have a family dinner and everybody's kind of going through and serving themselves, you should Mm -hmm. avoid that. Or you Hmm. should be the very first person to go through and eat because you don't want to be touching all the spoons that everybody else is touching. And like, what if someone sneezes or an eyelash falls in or who knows, you know, you don't want to put yourself at risk for infections unknowingly. Um, Hand washing, of course, is a huge, huge thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Certain types of uh, transplant, like lung transplant, we ask people to wear a mask Pretty frequently, especially if you're going to for a checkup in the doctor's office, other people there might be sick. And mm-hmm. so you don't want to put yourself at risk for their illness. Right. Um, you know how sometimes you'll get on an airplane and you see people wiping down the surfaces and you're like, come on, dude. Right. Do you really need to? We tell people with transplants to do that because you right. don't want the, they don't want, you know, to get an infection. Oh. Um, Sorry, you said that. And I feel like a terrible person now because we were in a movie theater probably like three months ago. And uh-huh. this whole family came in, mom, dad, and three, uh, I think two sons and a daughter. And they started wiping down all the arms. Nothing. There's no spider okay. behind you. I'm just looking. <laughs> like they, they wiped down all the arms and the seats and everything. They had a plastic bag and the kids were kind of laughing, like looking at us, like embarrassed about it. And the parents were kind of laughing, but they were all doing it. Uh-huh. And now I wonder, and I was thinking, wow, germaphobes, kind of like last episode, we talked about, you don't need to be that clean. Yeah. But then I was like, 
I also thought, well, you never know what's, I don't know what's going on in their lives. But now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what if one of them was like recently had a transplant or had cancer and it's, you know, they're Mm -hmm. sensitive about it or they still need to be precautious. Like you never know what's going on in someone's life and someone's journey. It's just, you just don't know. That's true. Um, Perks of having a transplant and being at risk for infection. You shouldn't clean the litter box or change baby diapers. Oh, yeah. So get somebody else to do that shit. The actual shit. There should be a service where you can like have so, you know, like Uber, but like come change my cat litter. (laughs) Like if, what if you didn't have anyone and you're like, they could do that. probably will be a thing. (laughs) Probably. Now it will be. (gasps) We should coin it. (laughs) (laughs) add to our list of jobs. Sorry, continue. That's okay. So that's, that's pretty much all I have to say about transplant for now. I mean, transplant is like a whole, there's so much to know about it, but just the immunosuppression part of it is that's all I wanted to talk about. And I did look up some stuff about HIV. Do we have time? Can I talk about HIV? Okay. Um, So because that obviously has a lot to do with immunosuppression. HIV is the human immunodeficiency virus. So it makes your immune system deficient, mm-hmm. boo. Um, and just to kind of answer the question that I had for myself earlier, because I was like, wait, what is the difference between HIV and AIDS? Again, I knew, but I'm like, let me just define it. Yeah. So AIDS is like a, a thing that happens because you have HIV. It's not the infection. The infection mm-hmm. is the HIV virus. Um that's kind of redundant. It should be the HIV virus. Um, <laughs> anyway. Because you have HIV. Yeah. Because yeah. you have HIV, you could develop AIDS, which is acute immunodeficiency syndrome. Nope. Acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. You acquire it from the stupid virus. It should be acute. That makes more sense. It should okay. be. <laughs> so that's like when HIV has infected your body to the point where it's damaged your immune system so much that you're like being immunosuppressed by medications, mm-hmm. you're susceptible to opportunistic infections. So like, you know, um, you can get yeast, we all can get yeast infections, right. but if you have a suppressed immune system, you're way more likely to get yeast infections. And even in your mouth, like mm-hmm. there's, if you get a yeast infection in your mouth, it's called thrush and it looks like a white tongue. You can get white spots in your cheeks and it's painful sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. it can be really, really painful. Yeah. Um, and other, you know, there's pseudomonas, which I don't even know how that infects you. I think it can cause a pneumonia or something. Anyway, you're you're at risk for lots of different infections that you normally wouldn't be at risk for right. because your immune system could fight it off. It's the same thing as like the neutropenia. Yeah. You know, your your immune system's down. Your own bacteria can cause problems in the whole world. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the bacteria is like, hey, nobody's paying attention here. Right. We're going to just do whatever we want. Let's have a party while mom and dad are gone <laughs> and, and invite H- all our friends and make babies because we're real fast at it. Gosh. I mean, that sounds like happy and positive, but it's killing you. So mm-hmm. <laughs> isn't it like HIV and C2 can be in C2 for a long time? So you get the in infection. Sexual? Wait, maybe this is a thing. C two. I don't know. Potato, potato. Whatever. (laughs) But like, you get the infection, and then it's in whatever we want to call it. C two, C two. So for a period of time, you don't have any. um, It's not like suppressing your immune system much. You just have the infection, and then you start to notice your counts going down. That's why they monitor them the whole. That's true. I think in C two or. It's with inside you um, okay. or in situ. I think that actually means like encapsulated in something. I think it means it's like closed off from mm. the rest of its surroundings. And that's why it's not like affecting anything yet? Well, I don't think that's actually the case with HIV. Oh. I think, unless it is, I don't know. I've never heard that, but I see what you're saying. It's like, it's kind of latent. Um, like or it's latent just, HIV, maybe that's that. Maybe I'm making this up. Well, I think what, what happens is the HIV it's not really affecting your immunity that much at first because it's just there, it's present Mm -hmm. and your immune system's still intact. But as the HIV replicates more Mm -hmm. and more Mm -hmm. and it kills your um, two types of white blood cells, your helper T cells and your macrophages. So the helper T cells are the ones that mark a cell as bad um, and tell your other 
you know, white, your other white blood cells to destroy it. So they help to identify, yeah, what to destroy. And then the macrophages are the ones that come around and eat things. They eat it. Yeah. Oh, I'd be a macrophage <laughs> if I was a blood cell. So they'll eat bacteria, they'll eat viruses, they'll eat cells that are marked for destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what the um, HIV virus affects. Um and we can talk a little bit about how it does that. I'll just try and make it brief because it's kind of confusing. I confuse myself though. You said the two types of white blood cells, the so macrophages and killer T cells. Those are two helper T cells. Helper oh, T. Yeah. Helper There's T killer T's also. But- okay. I was like, huh? Yeah. Okay. But then you said the two types. So then- it HIV attacks the two. Oh, those these two, two types. types. I was like, but yeah. then I just had a whole talk about neutrophils, so I'm confused. Okay, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Um, so the HIV basically is um it come it it attaches itself to a host cell, so to a macrophage or a helper T cell, and it has RNA which is like a precursor of DNA. So that's ribonucleic acid. This is getting a little nerdy, but just telling you guys how they do it. So, and it also has an enzyme that helps that RNA uh, become DNA. So, and it's called reverse transcriptase. So it attaches itself to one of your normal cells. Mm -hmm. It uses your normal cells parts, you know, like your your cell has parts that help to like make things and do things and reproduce. So it uses mm-hmm. your cell's parts to reproduce and make DNA and then it replicates and then it goes out and does the same thing with other cells. So mm-hmm. that's how it takes over so quickly. Um, it's like a factory, right? Like yeah. you have, like you go into a, like a pant, jeans making factory and you have your workers, but all of a sudden these, you know, other workers come in and they start taking over. You're still making or jeans, like somebody but they comes like, in with their idea and uses your workers. They're oh, like, sure. "Hey, yeah. we're not making your jeans anymore. Right. We're making my jean jackets." Right. Yeah, I'm just gonna put this little like new machine in here. You're not gonna know, and now you're gonna start making what I want. Mm-hmm. And then what I want is more of me. And then I go (laughs) (laughs) and attach myself to other cells and do the same thing and wash, rinse, repeat. And then all of a sudden you have like no helper T cells and no macrophages and then a really weak immune system and then infection. That's when, that's when you have AIDS is when there's such a high cell count or, Mm -hmm. you know, viral count and not enough, um, you know, white blood cells of those types. So it's to the point where HIV has now made you so suppressed and once you're at a certain level of immune suppression, you have AIDS. I think once you're at a certain level of suppression and you start to get some of those infections, I don't know, it might just be that you have to have a really low mm-hmm. um, count of the helper T cells yeah. and, that, and that's then you're considered, considered AIDS. AIDS and that's when they, we want to avoid all those extra infections, but you're really susceptible. Yeah. You know, what's really cool though is, you know, when I was growing up and we were learning about HIV, it's, and I'm sure a lot of people have this experience is that it just sounded like a death sentence. Like you get HIV, that's the worst thing you could ever get. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you die. Yeah. Well, it was, it was was. a death sentence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But now it's not. They have medications that are so, so good at treating it now that, um, you know, when I was in nursing school, I did one rotation in an HIV clinic Mm -hmm. and they said, um, yeah, as long as people come and receive regular treatment, most of these people are more likely to die of a heart attack than they are of their HIV. You know, like they're going to outlive. That's so whatever. good. That's wonderful. I, I mean, know. just the fact that, it, yeah, you're not going to get AIDS. And uh, even mo- mothers, like there's mothers now that have AIDS and you can still give both to your give birth to your baby. Have a British accent. I'll give birth to your baby. You can give birth. You can give birth. Maybe not if you have AIDS, but if you have the HIV virus and it's under control. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And they can give you drugs to not pass it on to your kid during birth. I think, I mean, it's complicated, but it's possible. Mm -hmm. So you're not, you know, exposing because it's obviously passed through your blood. It's a bloodborne pathogen. Right. Mm -hmm. Is it blood blood and body fluids or just blood? No, it's just blood, right? Because and body fluids. Like you can get it fluids. through sex. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. What about spit? No. Okay. Just feel I don't like, know why, but no. Yeah. I just, I mean, it's just not. Yeah. I just want to clarify semen. that because I don't want people to be like, oh, oh my God, I don't share a cup with, you know what I mean? Like a cup of water with somebody. It's not like a thing that, like, mm, like semen is cells, right? Right. So, like, they could have the 
Could they? I, I mean, don't know why. Everything is cells. Yeah, but I don't. <laughs> I don't. Well, spit's not cells. This is a good re-explain. We should do this next week. Yeah. Like why? Why aren't? I think there are several different ones that are spread through blood and body fluids. Yeah, but like, like hepatitis. Not all body is, fluids. Yeah. You know, and that's interesting. I don't know why. Let's. We're going to learn about pocket, it we're and gonna we'll live, talk about yeah. it next week. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. So a- HIV is oftentimes not a death sentence. Neither is an organ transplant, but it's really hard and your chemo's hard and cancer's hard and your immune system suppression's hard, but people can survive and you just be really clean and pay attention to your body and listen to the signs and listen to your doctors. But not too clean if you're healthy. <laughs> yeah, if you're healthy, keep your immune system Every, strong. Everything's so individualized. We're right. like, you healthy people know you need to lick the ground. <laughs> yeah. And you immune suppressed people, you need to wash your hands. Don't even look at a person. Just don't even look. <laughs> <laughs> Does he look nasty? The don't, don't look, look at him. Don't look. <laughs> They're gonna there's there's things called eye boogers and they spread in the air and they just jump on your face. No, I'm just kidding. Um but this can lead us to the word of the day. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was doing earlier. And I was like, I'm not ignoring you. Okay. <laughs> we can cut that out. Okay. <laughs> um, coat word of the day is Cotard's delusion. When, no. No. <laughs> no, I don't know what that is. Can you spell Take it? Take a guess. Okay. C-O-T-A-R-D apostrophe S delusion. Okay. So this must be someone's name. Someone, it got named after someone named Richard Cotard or something. <laughs> and uh-huh. he had a delusion about um, that he had the best immune system in the world. And so he didn't have to wash his hands or do anything. He could just oh. lick dirt and bugs and uh, <laughs> anuses and he would just never get an infection. Some people do do Toilet that. seats. So um, unfortunately, Cotard's delusion has nothing to do with the topic today of suppressed immune system. Aww. I'm sorry. Is it Richard Cotard? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't say here what the... Uh, who the what, who was named after? So it's a rare mental disorder in which a person sincerely believes that he or she is missing a body a body part, <laughs> like the brain, or they think they're actually dead. Oh, you know what? I've heard about this, but I didn't know that's what it was called. So it says they often tend to not eat or bathe. They often spend time in cemeteries wishing to be among their own kind. I want to be with my people. (laughs) Um, So they think it's a dysfunction in areas of the brain responsible for recognizing and associating with emotions and faces, including their own face. So there there is a a separate condition where you can't recognize your own face Mm -hmm. in the mirror. Um, that's something else, but it's uh, can be included in this. And um, complete emotional detachment. They remove any sense of personal identity when they look at their own body. Sure, um, if you think you're dead, I'm like, <laughs> what does anything matter? <laughs> and they can use meds to like treat it and um, electroconvulsive therapy in oh, some cases. Man. Yeah, so Cotard's Delusion, if anyone wants to like look that up further and see who it's named after and tell Sarah. That's horrible. But, Could you imagine? Isn't that crazy? Well, I mean, imagine like my brain is not in my head. Like, then how are you saying what you're saying? Yeah. But well, they must have I'm some dead. reason yeah, like, why. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Like the things our mind can do and then you think it's not your mind because you don't have a brain. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just an example of things, body parts you think that are missing. But isn't that fascinating? I think it our is. minds are so fascinating. I agree. I heard about that on this podcast called The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week. I don't know if you uh, guys out there have heard of it. It's by the um, editors of Popular Science and it's these it's three girls usually. Sometimes there's a guy and they each talk about something weird they learned that week that mm. didn't make it to the science journal. And that was one of the things. Anyway, it's pretty Co- funny. Wait, this condition? But I don't or- remember them calling it that. I just remember them talking about someone who um, had a disorder where she was convinced that she was dead or <clears throat> someone mm. who was convinced that they didn't have a heart or some vital you know, yeah. organ. Right, um, that you couldn't live without. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're like, but you... But I'm talking to you. And yeah, it's like, there's no, it's a, it's a disorder. You can't right. convince someone that yeah. yes, you are alive and 
this is how I know because I'm seeing and talking to you. Our brains are amazing. It's mm-hmm. so crazy. Like I said earlier, the simplest, tiniest little thing could go wrong. And in most people, it doesn't. But We're so lucky to make it through each day. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> well, on that um, journey, thanks guys for listening. And um, Hey, you- right into us. We need some stories. We want to hear about, you guys have bodies, right? And brains. No, maybe of some of them don't. Do you or, <laughs> or you don't, think you know? don't? So write into us and tell us your stories. If you're a nurse, if you're a patient, if you're a person who knows a nurse or a patient, or, or you, you just, have a question, yeah, or you have a body fluid that you're concerned about, write into us at wwnurses at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash whiningwnurses and our Instagram and Twitter too. You'll find us there. Just search for us. Just search. You'll find we'll be there. You're smart because you have a brain. Thanks for checking in. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers.